Dinosaurs and a man. Two species separated by 65 million years of evolution have just been suddenly thrown back into the mix together. How can we possibly have the slightest idea of what to expect? Oh, yeah. Ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and then screaming. Dr. Grant, my dear Dr. Sattler, welcome to Jurassic Park. You're listening to Best One Since the Next One, the podcast that dives deeper than the newly freed Mosasaurus after it gets its very own Blackfish-style documentary on Netflix into the open waters of film and TV franchises and the fandoms they inspire. I'm your host, John Pataki. I've been told that I have not introduced myself on the podcast before. Listening back, that's very true. I'm going to start doing that. So I'm your host, John Pataki. We've reached the back half of our Jurassic Park series, a podcast series 65 million and 29 years in the making. And we're driving our gyrosphere through the heart of a newly thriving Isla Nublar towards the release of Jurassic World Dominion, the conclusion of the Jurassic Saga, which is definitely a thing. Before we go any further, we do have a little bit of business to attend to up top. A couple weeks ago, I had Doug Dorda on as my guest for the Lost World podcast. During the trials portion of the show, I neglected to ask him his favorite dinosaur. Um, it's a, a cardinal sin of the show. I want everyone to have a consistent experience, be able to say what they have on their mind, what they're feeling at all times. I want them to be able to show up to the show and be their own true selves. So I wanted to give Doug a platform to tell everybody his favorite dinosaur. And I, I feel it's my duty to write this wrong. So without any further ado, best one since the next one presents to you, the listening public, Doug Dorda's favorite dinosaur. Brachiosaur. Great. Now we have that out of the way. We're going to move on. Today's movie, we're talking about Jurassic World, the start of the second trilogy of Jurassic Park slash Jurassic World movies. To do that is dinosaur aficionado himself. It's Larry Fish, everybody. Hey, John. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like we were saying beforehand, it just took both of us being absurdly sick to be able to find time <laughs> to sit down and do this and do this movie together. So thank you for finding the time to talk about dinosaurs with me. Thank you for letting me talk about dinosaurs. What's the is it? It's is it sharks, then dinosaurs for you? Or is it dinosaurs and sharks? <sighs> That's I, I think I'm going to say dinosaurs and then sharks. Wow. Uh, I didn't know. I, I thought for sure it was gonna be sharks and dinosaurs. I think I have. I have a longer history of being a dork about dinosaurs than sharks. That's <laughs> slightly is newer. It, so, is it is it specifically just the one shark? Or is it just Jaws, or, is, or do you like all sharks? This is riveting podcast content. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm 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 into all sharks. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for tuning in today to Shark Talk. You've said that you you you've offered to do like the original Jurassic Park and everything like that when we were gonna, we're originally do this series we landed on jurassic world because it's you know such a direct tie to the first one what is your relationship to jurassic park as a series as a whole in some of the, the batman episodes that you did uh you and, and joel specifically talked about just like batman being everywhere at that time in your childhood like just being the right age to absorb all that batman stuff and that's jurassic park for me i don't know 
10-year-old me was just super obsessed with Jurassic Park and dinosaurs in general. Uh, the movie itself was at like a dollar theater, and I would just get picked up from school and just sort of dropped off at that theater. I, I think I saw it 20 times. I could I could do like a one-man show of all of Jurassic Park. <laughs> Uh, that's that's the, the uh, our first Patreon episode will be just you doing all of Jurassic Park by yourself, just reciting it, even the dinosaur noises. Oh, perfect! I think it it just it's it it obviously really hits it really hits home for you know people from our generation. It's it's really near and dear to all of our hearts, and I think that the, a lot of people have, you know not saying that your experience isn't unique. I'm just saying I think a lot of us had a, an instant emotional attachment to it because of the wonder. And like we've talked about in future episodes, like the awe of seeing these creatures brought to life. We'd never seen anything like it so realistic before. And now, you know, with Jurassic World, we cut to this and it's kind of what this movie is about. And we'll get to that later. You know, it's it's old hat at this point. You see, you've seen so much CG in your lifetime. Right. Um, and especially like newer generations have just grown up with CGI and it's nothing new to them. And I think when it comes down to that, you know, it's, it is, it's a legacy sequel, you know, it's kind of sans the, the characters from that original Jurassic Park that we love so much, but the, the ramifications and the actions of the people in that storyline have carried through to this, this new trilogy of movies. We'll talk more in depth in a little bit about whether that's successful or not, but in terms of a legacy sequel, you know, when we have such, emotional attachments to movies like this what do you think makes for a good legacy sequel in terms of living up to the actual legacy itself i think i think the, at least in jurassic world the most important thing for me was when they get there and you see the gates and you get the jurassic park music and and that kind of for me was was when it was like okay this is this is an actual jurassic park thing Right, like it exists. That music means it's Jurassic Park or World or whatever for me. Just those little familiar things that you have an emotional attachment to. I, th I think that's why, uh, like, Indiana Jones and, and Star Wars sequels work. I think it's just those little things like the music or just one little bit of familiar, like the Jeeps, right? Like you love to see the Jeeps later on, stuff like that. But it's just, just these little nuggets of the original one that, that sort of bring you back. At least in in like a like a, a visual and, and audio sense. Totally, that's been an unexpected through line of the Jurassic Park series so far. Is everyone's like, I love to see the jeeps. <laughs> I'm like, hell yeah! I, I guess <laughs> I, I guess I never really thought of that. Like to me, a jeep isn't like an X wing or like a, a I'm not even sure what like the Batmobile. But it's like you're right. It is like I don't know. I think I think I I think my heart had softened a little bit. In, in the years since I first <laughs> since I first saw this movie, and I, I you know watching it this time, I was like, oh yeah, that is nice that they go back and they take this little little bit of time and, and reverence to the original. But like, it's there, but it's not. Um, we'll we'll talk a little bit a little bit about that in a minute too. But in terms of like a legacy sequel in general, I guess I mean if if you're listening to this, you probably know a legacy sequel is anything that like any kind of work that follows the continuity of an original work or works, but you know takes place further along the timeline, focuses on the new characters and the original characters, or you know their actions or the, the results of their actions are still present in the plot in some in some way, shape, or form. It's just really strange because there must have been something in the air in 2015 or just like everything kind of came to a head with legacy sequels because 
you didn't see a ton of these before. There was like Tron Legacy. You know, there was like uh, Rocky Balboa or Rambo, like when Sylvester Stallone was trying to like re-kickstart his career. And then like way before that, in like 1986, I believe there was uh, The Color of Money, which was like a legacy sequel to The Hustler. So it's not like it's a new phenomenon, but like in 2015, you had Jurassic World, you had Creed, you had Terminator Genesis, you had Mad Max Fury Road, and you had Star Wars The Force Awakens. So it was like the dam really burst in 2015 in terms of this being like a, a, a way to tell a story. And it's like, these things aren't stopping anytime soon. You know, this is just like no. how, how we experience entertainment now is kind of packaging nostalgia into our movies. It's successful and it's not, you know, I'm just wondering what was, I, I you know, it's like, it's hard to think clearly about, you know, 2015 after everything that's happened, but like, it just seems so strange that all of a sudden all these major franchises from our childhood or like just the generation before childhood all kind of hit with sequels at the same time. I'm wondering if it's because all the all the rumblings about a new Star Wars trilogy in the making, because like the Disney sale happened in like 2012, I think, from Lucasfilm. And the industry had to have picked up on the fact that this was happening. Right. So I wonder, I'm wondering if people were just like, well, we can do that, too. And then everyone just kind of. You know, hit development at the same time and just kind of all landed on 2015 as that year. It's just, it just seems very serendipitous that they would all come out at the same time. And it's like all these heavy hitter franchises at the same time. So just very strange. I mean, that does make a lot of sense. And even if, if you compare, you know, sort of the, the way that the story is told in Jurassic World and the way that the story is told in The Force Awakens, they both tell basically the same story as the sure. sort of the source material just with some more successful uh, than others, like extra bignesses tossed in there. I don't quite know how to. Yeah. Some, subver- some subversions of the, of the storytelling. They zig where the original zagged, you know, it's like di- different, different methods of keeping us entertained. Cause like, you know, force awakens came out. It took me about a week to realize, Oh, that was just a new hope. That really was. It's, it, yeah. it's to me, to me, it's not exactly a new hope. I think a lot of people think it's closer and just like Jurassic world. If this is not, beat for beat Jurassic Park. I think I'm ready in my life to say that there are some moments in it that are clever little nods to the original that do go their own way. I think specifically of the scene where everyone's lined up by the window to see the T-Rex eat the goat. And so in the original Jurassic Park, it's like this tense moment of like, where'd the goat go? You know, it's like this big moment of like, it's going to eat the goat. It's going to eat the goat. And then, you know, cut to 2015 and it's paying customers that are like, eat the goat. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, like, it's, it's definitely a commentary on us. Yeah. Wrapped into it. Colin Trevorrow <laughs> said this about the movie. He said, I had a very interesting relationship with Jurassic Park on this movie. I would say it on set. I want to hold Jurassic Park in our hands, but not too tight. I was constantly pushing against my instinct. I had to do an homage to it and then also sometimes embracing it and just doing it. I don't know what made me decide now it's okay to do a twisting shot away from a dinosaur bone being brushed away. But if I was going to do it, I wanted to then subvert it into something else. So very, very rarely, if ever, do we do something that is just a straight homage. It always turns into something else. You know, on paper, the ideas that you have for things are more successful than the execution. And I think that's definitely the case with Jurassic World. I just just thought a little setup of like how this really set the tone for like a tidal wave of legacy sequels to come. Like Top Gun Mavericks, the number one movie in the world right now. What percentage of movies that you've watched in the last two years are like pre-existing franchises do you think 75 percent. yeah same it's it's like all that exists anymore you know it's like that's it's the only bankable thing top gun maverick very good by the way (laughs) 
I didn't believe it was going. I, I had no idea. I didn't think it could be anywhere near as good as it is, but that's a different podcast. Um, <laughs> we're on to our third Jurassic World movie. So it's like there's even a, a new generation of people with their own version of a Jurassic of a Jurassic Park, you know? Right. Um, it's just hard for me. to. It's hard for me to imagine someone watching Jurassic World and feeling that same sense of awe and wonder about Jurassic World as we did about Jurassic Park. But I guess that's probably more on me. I think it's also on the Jurassic movie series because like with the first one, you still had your imagination about what a dinosaur might look like or sound like. Sure. Or, and now, rightly or wrongly, that's just what we think dinosaurs look like and sound like. You've seen it. The the T-Rex is out of the paddock. It it you kinda you know where where it's going. There's there's not nearly as much imagination. You already know what everything's gonna look like. Right. The raptors have a distinct look. The T Rex is the same T Rex from Jurassic Park. And I, I think the movie is right to kind of play on that a little bit. Maybe now is the time to talk about it. I was trying to hold it, but like it it's definitely trying to be a satire. I think it kind of becomes a victim of its own satire eventually because, you know, as, as clever as your first act can be, you still have to have a three act structure and a conflict and people have expectations for dinosaurs to fight each other in a Jurassic Park <laughs> movie or eat people. And it's like, no matter how clever you get with the meta references and things like that, you still have to make it quote unquote satisfying story structure. So it's like, if you can't keep it up the entire film, is that a satisfying satire? And for it to be a fully satisfying satire, it has to go, or satire, it has to go the whole way. It can't stop halfway. And and it kind of stops halfway. It's kind of half sort of maybe what Colin Trevorrow was trying to do and maybe half what the big movie studio that's spending hundreds of millions of dollars wants to guarantee will make money, you know? And that kind of folds into itself too because that's what, isn't, that's what the movie's about is, you know, we... We have a product that a company needs us to put out for profit. We need to rush it out. We need to get it out there to the people that want to consume it. Right. And that's dangerous for storytelling going forward. And in the movie, they have the Indominus Rex, which is a product that's been focus grouped. And, you know, it's, it's, it's this whole play on is consumer demand and, you know, profit killing art. But it's also like a giant... <laughs> goofy ass movie where a pterodon like terrorizes a woman in the water for like seven <laughs> minutes which we'll definitely talk about later too uh it's it's a movie where chris pratt is on a, a motorcycle riding with raptors you know it's not Jesus. like it, it's not taking itself that seriously but it's also not really keeping up with its original promise like i think of um what's his name jake johnson who's in the control room the guy from new girl who's like yeah you know, wearing the original Jurassic Park shirt. And she's like, that's disrespectful. And he's like, that original park was legit. Where did you get that? Oh, this? I got it on eBay. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I got it for $150, but the mint condition one goes for $300. did not occur to you maybe that's in poor taste? The shirt? Yeah, no, it did. I understand people died. It was terrible, but that first park was legit. You know, I have a lot of respect for it. They didn't need these genetic hybrids. They just needed dinosaurs, real dinosaurs. Okay, That's kind of enough. Don't wear it again. Yeah, wasn't gonna. And it's like, okay, we get it. Then why are you making this? I get that profit yeah. is involved in capitalism and studios need to make a, a new version to make money. It just felt very cynical. It felt like a very cynical movie where the original movies were very hopeful and awe-inducing. Even, even Jurassic Park 3, which is like Ugh. arguably the worst of those three, is still like... Not arguably... <laughs> had, a, had a sense of you know at least a certain sense of like oh where are we going now what are we doing at, in this location you know mm -hmm. it, this one just felt very cynical and very 
overpacked and like mean-spirited perfectly summed it up if the original jurassic park is them with their faces pressed up against the jeep window waiting for the goat to be eaten jurassic world is 100 percent like 500 screaming shitheads in a log <laughs> totally just like yeah eat the thing eat the yeah. goat eat the goat is the new jump the shark <laughs> I still liked it though. So, oh, you, you still like the movie in general? Yeah, I think so. It's definitely like I'm of, I'm of two brains about it, where it's like this is the, this is what's wrong with everything, and I'm like, but it is really fun to see dinosaurs fighting each other. <laughs> like exactly, yeah. It's we're here for a good time, not a long time, you know. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Oh, on that note, hold on to your butts because we're hopping on our dirt bike and riding side by side with a pack of weaponized raptors in the <sighs> Colin Trevorrow's Jurassic World. <laughs> the groan, the groan of disapproval over the intro to the to the plot. <laughs> Yeah, Jurassic World was released on June 12th, 2015, like we said, directed by Colin Trevorrow. In my opinion, a total hack. I can't, I don't I I cannot stand Colin Trevorrow. I, uh he was handpicked by Steven Spielberg after seeing his Sundance hit Safety Not Guaranteed, which is a movie I do like. I did like um, that movie. Yeah. It's enjoyable, but the jump the jump from that to a billion dollar franchise is like you need you need some a little more restraint, guys. Like you need someone that can like not put everything in the first try. He did this, you know. Then he did. He obviously like wrote and directed mm. Dominion. Famously, had a Star Wars taken away from him after the Book of Henry because that movie is insane. It's not good or bad. It's just completely insane. I don't hold people's creativity or drive or aspirations against them. He's I'm sure he's a, a great person. I, I don't think he's worthy of of the mantle of Jurassic Park after like one movie, pretty much. He was given a budget of $150 million in the box office. Disagree with me completely. And um, came back at $1.67 billion at the point, like a month after its release. It was the third highest grossing film of all time. And now it's resting comfortably at you know, the seventh highest grossing movie of all time out of all movies. <laughs> so it's like, but like to, to our point from earlier, I, I don't go to the theater much and I definitely saw this. Absolutely. And you know, at the time everyone was sending me like the, the trailer, everyone, you know, sending me like stuff on, on Facebook. Like, I'm sure you're pumped about this. I was like, yes, I am. Like, it looks sweet. It looks like a, a good idea. I love the idea of, of a fully functional park. It's great. You know, obviously we're going to get more into it, but like, it just, it doesn't do the things right that it needed to do right. 71% of critics enjoyed it. 78% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. 59% on Metacritic. The cast obviously includes Chris Pratt as Owen Grady. Bryce Dallas Howard as Claire Deering. Vincent D'Onofrio as Vic Hoskins. Ty Simpkins as Gray Mitchell. And Nick Robinson as Zach Mitchell. Uh, we'll talk extensively about those brothers uh, in a bit, I think. Omar Sai as Barry. B.D. Wong as Dr. Henry Wu. Irfan Khan as Simon Mizrani. Rest in peace, Irfan Khan. Passed away in 2020. Jake Johnson as Lowry Crothers, which is like, what, what's that? What's that name? Lowry Crothers. Yeah. Uh, Lauren Lapkus as Vivian. I love Lauren Lapkus. She sticks out like a sore thumb in this movie. Brian T. Uh, I thought you would like this. Is you know the voice of the Ronin in Star Wars Visions. Oh, really? Yeah, as Hamada, the head of like the that tactical unit that they send out. Yeah, for like two minutes. Katie McGrath as Zara. Judy Greer as Karen Mitchell and Andy Buckley as Scott Mitchell. It's just really funny to have like a random like David Wallace appearance in Jurassic World. He's like, I'm doing it. And then like I was saying, Larry, before we started, like I like to usually go in depth about the behind the scenes or the pre-production or those different aspects of creating the movie and like the struggle from the page to the screen. But this movie literally was like they hadn't made a Jurassic 
park movie in a while and it was hard to get it made but then they got it made cool great story it's a film based on the 1994 documentary jurassic park about a theme park gone wrong (laughs) there's a, a little bit of back and forth about you know the scripts and different versions of it that were in development hell but like nothing that was that compelling mostly steven spielberg didn't see anything that was like up to snuff and he was like i want this movie to have three things i want it to have a fully functional theme park I want it to have a genetically mutated dinosaur and I want it to have someone that can control raptors. So the three components of the movie that like two of the three components of the movie that are completely absurd to me were Steven Spielberg's idea. (laughs) So it's like, there goes my theory that we don't have good storytellers anymore because probably our greatest American storyteller, visually speaking, is what came up with the major tenets of this movie. So He He made Jaws, John. What's happened? One of my big complaints about the, these newest movies is like, how do we get from Barbasol can full of embryos to camouflaging <laughs> cuttlefish dinosaur? After seeing Jurassic Park three, if you like, having watched them all sequentially for this show, yeah, it it does make like twenty percent more sense how we got here. But it's a pretty big jump. It's a pretty pretty big jump from from three to this one so just real quick i think when you look back at at things like close encounters or jaws or the original jurassic park like those are character stories those aren't genetically modified dinosaur stories and you care about the peril that they're in because you care about the characters um or you hate the characters because they're sniveling slobs that you know steal embryos or whatever but you care what happens to them and i don't care about any of these characters I'll say it now just so I don't forget. I think the biggest problem I have with all these movies is Chris Pratt. And I don't I, I don't necessarily hate Chris Pratt like the rest of the world seems to. I know he's kind of a weirdo. I, I know he got super religious. I know he's said some not very nice things about his first child. I just think he's a regular dude that made it big and is making the most of it. I know it's like... I it's easy to separate those two for me. He's not like a Johnny Depp type character where it's like, sure. okay, he's probably a shithead. I, I just think that casting him as Owen Grady and having this like ex Navy SEAL dinosaur trainer character completely derails what makes Jurassic Park movies exciting. And that's you're putting people that know about dinosaurs, but don't know about surviving dinosaurs in peril. And you hope they get out because you care about them. Right. So you put, you put this guy that's an ex Navy SEAL that understands survival situations and trains dinosaurs. So understands roughly how to survive in the wild against them or like what their tendencies are. It, it gives this sense of like, Oh, things are gonna be okay. Cause this guy knows what's going on. They even say in the movie, like that guy's a badass. We're sticking with him. And it's like, it's fun. I like some of his, some of his delivery. I, I just, I just think him as a character for like Jurassic Park as a whole doesn't really do it for me you can't just make the same movie over and over and again but what, what do you think pretty much exactly the same he's kind of funny kind of he's kind of an asshole but like okay so he knows how to survive in the wild but why does that make him qualified to train dinosaurs would, <laughs> would it have been more believable if he was a dog trainer yeah or like a or like an ostrich trainer or something right. like something that's like <laughs> right. something that's i don't i'm not sure tell me this if he had died would you have cared no yeah exactly if ian malcolm had died would you have cared I would have been devastated if Dr. Yeah. Grant died, if Ellie Sadler died, if either of the kids died. I'd be devastated, you know? Yeah. Even if uh, Malcolm's daughter in Lost World died, it, it would be sad. All the characters in here are such general outlines of Jurassic Park-type characters that none of it works right. in that regard. Like, the kids suck. I hate yeah. the kids in this movie so much. Like, you're supposed to like them because they're going through a tough time or whatever, but you just <laughs> don't. Like, who cares? Yeah. 
And the tough time only exists to like them. It's strange. We're, we're talking a lot about it up front about how we feel about it. Don't let it color our, your opinion of the movie before we tell you what the plot's about, okay? It'll make more sense then. Yeah, exactly. We begin on an ominous note as two raptors begin to hatch from their eggs as eerie music swells, hinting at the subtlety that this film is about to display. We cut to Zach Mitchell and his younger brother, Gray, as they're preparing for a trip to Isla Nublar, the site of a now fully functioning dinosaur theme park conveniently named Jurassic World. Larry, just like the name of the movie. Oh. Did you know that? I didn't. Uh, no, I didn't pick up on that. It was named after the theme park. They're met at the visitor center by Zara, the assistant of Claire Deering, the boy's aunt and operations manager of Jurassic World. Claire, busy convincing investors that the new attraction, a genetically modified hybrid dinosaur by the name of Indominus Rex, will increase the park's profits, assigns Zara to watch over the boys. Claire meets with Simon Masrani, the owner of the park, and he flies them in his helicopter. He loves, 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 loves helicopters, guys. I just want you to know he loves to fly his own helicopters. He loves the shiny little helicopter. He flies it to the new Indominus Rex paddock. Masrani is at once slightly horrified, yet mostly impressed by the new dinosaur, but advises Claire to let ex-Navy man and king of the whoa there hand motion Owen Grady inspect the paddock for vulnerabilities that the engineers may have overlooked. We got to talk about the, the hand motion for a minute because in every scene in the movie that involves dinosaurs and Chris Pratt, uh, I know this is a podcast and it's uh, not a visual medium, but do, he's always doing the whoa, 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 like two hands stretched in front of him, like, no, don't come any closer. And through all the <laughs> movies. And so when, when the Dominion, the Jurassic World Dominion trailer played, I can't remember what movie I was seeing. Maybe the Batman. I'm not really sure. As soon as he did the hand motion, the whole cheer, the whole theater started cheering. And I was like, man, we've, we've really hit rock bottom at this point. It's really eating the goat. It's just so funny that like you could say watching a trailer, you're like, oh, I bet he's going to be on a motorcycle riding with Raptors sometime soon. And then like two seconds later that happens. Oh, I bet yeah. he's going to be putting his hands out pretty soon. And it's like, it's, I mean, it's a choice. He's a dinosaur trainer. So it makes sense, but it's just, I don't know. It's just so funny. It's the real, the true legacy. Of Jurassic World. Yes, in 20 years, there'll be someone that's like, I remember those hand motions. You must be Owen Grady's son. You know, like, <laughs> Kids do it trick-or-treating, and everyone's like, oh, I get it. Are you Owen Grady from Jurassic World? <laughs> Here, take two. <laughs> By the way, you will never say or hear the word paddock more in your life than when you're watching a Jurassic <laughs> I've never heard. I'd, I'd never heard it before Jurassic Park, and I've never heard it since Jurassic Park in any other movie right. besides... Uh, drink every time they say paddock. No, no, don't. This is a brief aside, but I was playing a, a diehard drinking game once because I used to be really cool. <laughs> uh, and one of the rules was drink every time glass breaks. Oh, and I was like, glass wasn't breaking for the whole movie. And I was like, I definitely thought more glass broke. And then it gets to the scene where it's like five minutes of them <laughs> like machine gunning glass. Uh, and it's just, just window after window being shot out. I was like, oh, I see now. And I live to tell the tale. So good. Uh, we uh, now meet Owen, who's in the process of training the park's uh, four velociraptors, who are Blue, Delta, Echo, and Charlie. Uh, <laughs> as they <laughs> As their trainers, uh, the Raptors consider him to be their alpha, apparently. So Vic <laughs> Hoskins, who is the leader of InGen's security division and a uh, professional shithead, thinks the Raptors show potential for military applications, much to the rightful disgust of Owen. However, a near-fatal encounter when the new guy falls in the Raptor pen uh, while trying to wrangle a hog shows that the Raptors aren't really ready uh, to be domesticated and just sort of set free that damn new guy damn new guy but anyway training them might not be um, might be a fool's errand ultimately so 
Claire then meets Owen down at his uh, trailer slash bungalow and requests his help evaluating the Indominus Rex paddock. There it is. Owen agrees to inspect the paddock. Upon arrival, the animal appears to have disappeared from the paddock, and thermal Im- imaging cannot locate the Indominus Rex, and Owen spots a cluster of claw marks on the wall, concluding that the <laughs> Indominus Rex has climbed out of the pen. So Claire hops in her car and rides back to the control room to attract the beast, while Owen and two schlubby Jurassic World employees head into the paddock to investigate, because of course they do. Mm-hmm. In the control room, Lowry and the excellently named Vivian Krill, uh, <laughs> two put-upon Jurassic World employees, see that the Indominus Rex is still in the paddock. Owen is notified and tries... Oh, and they try to escape the Indominus Rex, uh, but it reappears and eats one of the generic employees while smashing through the gate. Owen barely escapes by hiding underneath a vehicle and spraying himself with gasoline. <laughs> Do mask his scent naturally yeah Larry, like you I, like you do i gotta say and i love it the the level of of derision in your voice <laughs> <laughs> reading 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 what the actual plot is out loud is like it's so good when, but, when you see it uh, on paper I... yeah it's like when you're watching you're like this is cool and then you read it and you're like oh really sprays himself with gasoline huh i guess that's not, that's, that's probably the least ridiculous part of what was all just read but um that's fair there's a lot of um hiding underneath cars in these movies like under not in them <laughs> like underneath them and people get cr- like keep getting crushed under them like in in fallen kingdom not to jump too far ahead like people like the main villain hides under a car and like gets crushed under it it's like stop hiding under cars with like 15 ton animals running around dinosaurs are really big they're huge this one's very really big, big. Yeah. they have huge feet they will kill you you got to cover yourself with gasoline and get out of there Yep, the um, dinosaurs hate that. <laughs> yeah, they've def- they they grew up um, back in the Jurassic and Cretaceous eras, like a healthy sense of yeah, fossil uh, fuels, uh, not on yeah. my watch. <laughs> That's my cousin. You're spraying on you. <laughs> Just tasteful. <laughs> so, <laughs> so before we go though, I, I was thinking, if you were going to engineer a dinosaur for an exhibit, why would you engineer? the scariest dinosaur why wouldn't you engineer a dinosaur that looks really scary but just eats a lot and takes a lot of naps like right in front of the window larry that's the it's the key aspect of this whole movie what is going on like i know that they talk about they they focus group that they want more teeth they want it bigger crazier scarier why do they want it scarier right why do they want why why do they want a scarier dinosaur and it's like it can look scary you know it can look yeah and why is uh, Henry Wu a bad guy all of a sudden? Is that something that from the books or something that was like missed? Because in Jurassic World, he's like, hey, we did, we had fun doing this, guys. And then in this movie, he's like, I want $30 million for my accomplishments. And then even he's even more of a villain in the next one. I don't know why they just gave like B.D. Wong a Jurassic Park heel turn. But <laughs> I think, I mean, I think it's a, the dinosaurs can't be the villains, right? Because they're just doing what their nature is. It has to be the people that made them sure you know made their nature i guess but but yeah you just don't make a scary dinosaur make a scary looking dinosaur that just walks around yeah lot. exactly that yeah. plays with like a, a little stuffy a little stuffed animal that you give it also Agreed. if you want Agreed. people to see a dinosaur in an exhibit don't have it fucking camouflage 
That'd be yeah, like a exactly. great first step. Also, just a note for everyone working at Jurassic World, maybe finish the paddock first and mm. then put the dinosaur in it and then make the dinosaur. Like, make it big, then make the dinosaur and then put it in there. Don't put the dinosaur before the cart, you know? Don't put the cart before the dinosaur, I guess. But that's the Jurassic Park legacy. They spare no expense except for staffing and payroll and, like, construction. <laughs> Any kind of forethought from anything that's gone wrong with the park beforehand. Right. I guess I know that's all implied in the story, and I get that, like, history repeats itself. Claire, at this point, not covered in gasoline. Claire sends the asset containment unit, the ACU, to take the Indominus Rex down. ACU commander Katashi Hamada discovers that the Indominus Rex has clawed out her tracking implant as the hybrid decloaks itself and annihilates the group. The implant is really gnarly looking. It looks like a giant wad of gum. If, if I kept anything for this movie, it would be the, the clawed out implant. So 100%. Um, Claire chooses to close every attraction north of the resort, but Owen advocates for evacuating the island immediately. Meanwhile, Zack and Gray have left Zara to watch the Mosasaurus water show and take in other attractions. I like this part. I thought the Mosasaurus show was very cool. Yeah, I think it's, it's super a, cool. I think it's a, it's a fun idea. I like how they go, it goes below uh, and they can see it swimming around, though the giant water tank does make my fear of water skyrocket so while on the park's monorail gray informs zach that their parents are getting a divorce in a last-ditch effort to make us feel anything for these characters the boys arrive at the gyrosphere ride and travel the valley with the insufferable jimmy fallon as their guide i hate I, like as <laughs> as much as i was like uh i guess this movie's such a slog and then jimmy fallon shows up and just it, I, i'm out at the i point. thought of you and he's just like up to his he's just crazy jimmy fallon and i can just picture him like in the production pre-production of this movie being like can i be in the movie i love jurassic park can i be in the movie i'm sure he's fine i just can't stand that guy despite being ordered to return to the station zach sees that one of the fence's gates has been left destroyed and like the bad boy he is decides to investigate they come upon a group of ankylosaurus as the indominus rex strikes from its camouflage state yet again the indominus battles and kills an ankylosaur as the boys flee barely escaping death by jumping over a waterfall Claire finds Owen so he can help her find her nephews. Uh, they arrive at the gyrosphere attraction and discover that the Indominus has gruesomely killed several Apatosauruses, leading Owen to conclude that the Indominus is killing for sport. It's a serial killer dinosaur. They find the destroyed gyrosphere, and Jimmy Fallon is still fucking yammering away. That's the only thing that survives is the Jimmy Fallon tape. Owen notices the boys' footprints and informs Claire that they escaped. Zack and Gray find the old Jurassic Park Visitor Center, now derelict and overgrown, and they manage to repair an old Jurassic Park Jeep. The Jeeps, baby! There they yeah. are! It's a Jeep thing you wouldn't understand, and they drive it back to the park. This is the, I do like, like I said earlier, I do like that they slow down at this part, yeah. and it's fun that the, the banner is trampled and overgrown and like ripped up like the um, everything's super overgrown this is the part that makes me think that this is a completely missed opportunity for this movie like seeing a functional a fully functional park is fun it doesn't make any sense it, it makes sense in like a humans don't make any sense kind of way that they would continue and make a, a park open but there's i think this is as good a place as any to talk about this there's always something like a Say Star Star Wars Force Awakens, the MacGuffin is Luke, right? Right. Yeah. Or the or his lightsaber. There's the the MacGuffin, the object. And it's like, guys, you had the Barbersaw can right there. And maybe the impulse was to not go that way. And like some like the, the mission is to find the Barbasol can and it's two two battling groups that are going to look for the remaining embryos that have been destroyed since Jurassic Park three. You know, the park both parks got firebombed. And they're like, Oh, but the this the, the tracker came back online or something you know some stupid line where it's like there's a 
a homing beacon in the Barbasol can, and it's two competing groups going to find it, and all this shit that goes wild as they're looking for this Barbasol can on the island. It just seems like such an easy, simple, simplistic storyline to go back to the island, and everything's overgrown, and time has passed, and we're returning to the thing that we loved as kids. Right. I just don't. I just don't. It's was it was that like too obvious for them, or was it like? Because when we go back here, and it's like not just the idea of seeing things that we recognize, but like it's one of the only really effective parts of the movie is them, you know, pulling vines off the the murals and like going through this what used to be an immaculate visitor center now covered in vines. It's very evocative and, and um, a fun part. And I think that like if they wanted to bring those um, night vision goggles into it, like they should do some sort of like chase scene with a, a like like a Science of the Lamb style like night vision chase scene where it's like the power's off and they can only see with those on, but the Raptors in the room with them somewhere or something like that. You know, it's like, it yeah. just seemed like it could have, it could have been much more of a thriller that way and, and really brought up that Jurassic Park spirit. I'm not saying that's the best idea in the world. You know, these are all creative, intensely amazingly creative people. And there's reasons that stories go ways that they do. And they probably threw ideas like that out first, but it just seems like, they could have gone a much simpler path than what they did. And this, this scene specifically really makes me miss that. That's exactly right. Because it just, it reminds you of everything that you liked about the original movie and, and just sort of points out that it's not there. It just takes a complete swerve. You have it all, all right there. And it feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah. This feels like 14 movies in one. And it's like, we'll talk about it in a second, but I feel like if you, pull certain parts of the movie away it's still the same movie but, mm-hmm. so it's like why why do we have all this but that's my barbers hall can rant over so <laughs> so okay so as the boys are leaving claire and owen hear the sound of a jeep drive by they try and hotwire a jeep of their own but before they can the uh, indominus arrives and attacks them and if it's so smart how come it can't hotwire a jeep itself <laughs> also larry is a, a, a jeep of their own is a movie starring gina davis i think I would love that movie. But it becomes distracted. A helicopter flies overhead. I think we can all relate to that. Totally. Um, now, remember, John, you mentioned it. But uh, remember, remember, uh, Masrani loves to fly a helicopter. Oh, yeah. He likes helicopters. He flies <laughs> yep. his own helicopter. They definitely, they're an entire theme park full of dinosaurs. Uh, and they have a machine gun, but no fucking helicopter pilots. <laughs> Just one, actually. Yeah. So anyway, um, he has outfitted his uh, helicopter with a minigun, uh, <laughs> and they attack the Indominus as it breaks through the wall of an aviary, releasing what seems like uh, hundreds of uh, pterosaurs. Owen and Claire horrifically watched the pterosaurs attack Mizrani's chopper, causing it to crash and killing him and everyone on board. Rest in peace. Mr. Helicopter Pilot Man. <laughs> it's just like so. It's such a hilarious writing decision. I just can't get over it. It's just so funny to me. Like, it, we'll, we'll get him. It's just, he's so rah rah about his helicopter. It's so yeah. good. The boys reach the northern security wall as a swarm of uh, pterosaurs attack a giant crowd of park goers, which is my favorite part of the movie. It's insane. Uh, Zara, Claire's assistant, finds the two children only to be snatched up by a uh, pterodon and is tortured on screen for what seems like about five minutes before being dropped in the water and then uh, summarily eaten by the Mosasaur. Um, it's it's like, what did she do to deserve this? 
Nothing. <laughs> Larry, I I look I was looking up Colin Trevorrow literally said, wouldn't it be fun to have a crazy death for someone that doesn't deserve it? Well, nailed it. Nailed it. Like what yeah. was this whole part is so this is like the cynical mean spirited part I was talking about. And I think it does work because it is like look at these like fucking idiots spending thousands of dollars to go to a stupid dinosaur park you fools don't you know what happened like, you're getting what you deserve it kind of makes sense in that kind of way right but like it's just so it's just so it's longer than any other part in the whole movie and it's so insane that she gets just like she gets dumped underwater like a fucking donut like seven times and then that's not enough like that the mosasaur has to eat the pterodon that's tearing her apart right it's so it's so insane also during this part in the behind the scenes footage in the behind the scenes like making of featurettes you know how chris uh, chris pratt or owen gets attacked by one of them Mm -hmm. to get the weight of it right they had a a a little person jump in his hands and like gnash his teeth and like claw at him i'm sorry but it's one of the funniest things i've ever seen it's i'm not laughing that he's a little person it's just like such a crazy sight he looks like a rabid man like just trying to attack chris pratt and it's so so funny again podcast not visual i'm just rubbing my face (laughs) <laughs> you talk about that i can edit that part out but <laughs> they go through great lengths to to get things done in movies uh that they then fix in digital and it just makes me wonder why not just do it practically then you know if oh they yeah have exactly to, they have to do it practically anyway just do exactly. it exactly <laughs> just to get sight lines like i mean the people that work in like digital effects are, are, are miracle workers completely oh yeah but, like it's so funny to watch like men grown men in like tight white leotards with raptor helmets on like crawling around people like acting like raptors and then movie stars going like oh <laughs> like it's like this, it's like this is how you make movies like this is how like memories are made forever is by like having a guy holding up a green poster board in the background and a guy in like a raptor ballerina suit just running around going <laughs> it's really crazy to think about Backs up my assertion that you should just never watch the special feature. It can make or break a movie for sure. So Claire Owen and the asset containment unit begin shooting down the animals and the boys are reunited with their aunt. InGen's private security division led by Vic Hoskins takes control of the park and plans to use the raptors to hunt the Indominus Rex. Although Owen initially declines, claiming that they should handle the situation his way, he reluctantly agrees when threatened. They release the raptors, and Owen rides alongside them into the jungle on a dirt, not on a dirty bike, on a dirt bike, where they locate the hybrid. Unexpectedly, the Indominus communicates with the raptors, and Owen realizes that she was made with Velociraptor DNA, and therefore has become the new Alpha. The raptors turn on the soldiers while the Indominus escapes. Owen finds Charlie, and she seems to recognize him, but she is killed by a stray rocket. A really tough beat for Charlie. It's great. It's like, what? Uh, the, sol- <laughs> the soldiers flee and Barry hides. Remember in their first Jurassic Park when the, uh, they shot a rocket at the T-Rex? The soldiers flee and Barry hides in a log while Blue attempts to eat him. But Owen distracts her and she chases after him as he leaves on his motorbike. I feel like the fever has hit me and I'm just like saying words at you right now because uh, this doesn't. It does not translate no. to text very well, but it's, look, I swear, this is what happens in the movie. <laughs> this is real. This I just is watched real. it. Simplicity is key, you know. Claire, Zach, and Gray are waiting in a veterinary vehicle when a soldier appears and is killed by Delta while trying to open the back doors. Echo attacks Claire through the window of the truck, but falls out, and Zach and Gray manage to electrocute Delta when she jumps out of the truck. Owen reappears, and they head back to that resort while the Raptors follow their new Alpha. This is the only part of the movie, the ambulance, as it were 
with the doors flapped open with the raptor behind it that yeah. feels like Jurassic Park. It's actually a, a very fun and tense scene mm-hmm. because it's it's real people without any skills trying to survive against a thing that's hunting them to kill them. Like it doesn't have to get more complicated than that. We don't have to be shooting missiles at raptors. <laughs> this whole part turns into uh, dino riders. Remember dino riders? There was always a rumor before you know how there's always like weird there was a weird like star wars rumors before the internet was so was so involved in fandom for things mm-hmm. where it's like you know i bet darth vader comes back with four arms this time and stuff like that there's always like this thing like i heard the new jurassic park's gonna be about weaponized raptors and you're like that's stupid that'll never happen and then it was <laughs> yeah. then, it, then it happened the other part of my brain is like this is so stupid that it's fun so whatever our four humans find hoskins in the genetics lab attempting to evacuate himself from the facility he explains how he secretly manipulated the masrani company to create the indominus at a fraction of the size it would be used as a military weapon instead of a stationary park attraction delta suddenly appears corners hoskins she he tries to calm her but to no avail and she bites his arm off and eventually devours him instead of calming down so good job (laughs) delta the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Our four humans escape the innovation center, but end up cornered outside by Blue, Delta, and Echo. Owen manages to reestablish his connection with them, and when the Indominus Rex arrives, Owen and the Raptors attack her, and the Raptors are all seemingly killed because they're much smaller. Realizing <laughs> they do not have the teeth to defeat the powerful hybrid, they resort to one final option. Claire calls Lowry and tells him to open the T-Rex's paddock, luring the park's old veteran Tyrannosaurus Rex into a fight with the Indominus. She has the upper hand for a moment, but then she is overpowered and thrown to the ground. It's important to note that she uses a flare here, very Uh, Ian Malcolm style. However, uh, before the Indominus can kill her, Blue arrives in glorious fashion and attacks the Indominus, giving the T-Rex time to get back up. The T-Rex and Blue battle the Indominus, cornering her in front of the mosasaur lagoon and just as the indominus recovers the mosasaur bursts out of the water and drags the hybrid dinosaur into the drink where the marine reptile finishes her off once and for all blue and the t-rex acknowledge each other as homies and high five and then head off into the night the group makes their way to the visitors area of the park and zach and gray are reunited with their parents while Owen and Claire leave together. The T-Rex lets loose a mighty roar from the top of the helipad, and the credits roll. <laughs> Everyone else lines up for a refund. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's really wild how complicated this movie is for its pedigree. You know, it's like... Right. You could, you could literally remove the whole military subplot, and it would still be the same movie. Oh, you have the, the raptor trainer that just so happens to train them against the... The thing that has raptor blood, so you could still have that part happen, and then he makes the connection back, and you strip out a whole crazy, complicated part of the movie that makes it so insane, and probably adds about like thirty-five minutes more onto the movie itself. Yeah, like you don't you don't need that part. You don't need the divorce. You don't need the divorce storyline. You don't need the original parents. Those kids could just show up on the island. Yeah, and they mention and they mention their parents at home. Just make us like the kids. You don't have to like make us like the kids. Make us not like. Claire and then like her make Owen a little more fallible and less Superman. And it would have been that much better for it. Cause all the carnage is actually really fun. It's really notable how well done and thought out the production design is like, there's like a Brookstone, you know, there's lots of product yeah. placement, but I kind of liked, I, I kind of like that for like a downtown Disney. It's like downtown Jurassic yeah. world. That's and exactly it's like, how it's, it would be. 
yeah, it's fun and it makes it, it actually makes it more believable and it doesn't take you out of it. It's like, yes, they do zoom in on the Mercedes logo mm. about five times too many. I get it. But like you have like a cold stone and you have people like making hot, like drastic hot dogs for people. The whole visitor center is very cool with like the, um, like the hologram of the Dilophosaurus. That's like fan service to me that works. It's like they turned it on and it's a thing yeah. you recognize. Um, but it, you know, the, I, I wasn't like, put off by that i thought it was it made sense for the world that they're in you know and i actually really like that part where it like confuses the dinosaur mm-hmm. um there's a part like that before too i'm just kind of this is kind of like the dumping ground for all my thoughts i have about <laughs> jurassic world there's a part that i was like oh that's kind of clever uh early on where claire just walks through one of the holograms like not even really paying attention yeah she's so she's so disillusioned to all the spectacle that she's just like hey whatever i thought that was pretty pretty telling of her character mm-hmm but I do like all the crazy production design. You can you can see yourself like going to it. We've I mean we've both been to Disney World. Like it's it's right in that that same sort of vein where it's just it's done up like to the nines, and it looks you could see yourself going and spending way too much money and buying a bunch of dumb shit that you need and like eating twelve dollar dinosaur shaped chicken nuggets you know right yeah it's it's perfect so i think that that part like it has a lot going for it but for some reason it decides to throw in everything but the kitchen sink into the mix and it's like i don't really know why they do that like the the next one fallen kingdom is really crazy but it seems like restrained compared to jurassic world and that real world element like everyone at the park that this successful park that's you know finally find a way to make it happen and then it this all the whole series leading up to dominion really kind of feels like an attempt to reboot and get a redo at the san diego scene of the lost world Hmm. because they blew that part so badly Mm -hmm. that like everyone wants to see dinosaurs on the mainland so i think it feels like they sacrificed before i watched fallen kingdom i would have said two movies but it feels like they just kind of like sacrificed this movie to get to dominion so they could redo dinosaurs on the mainland again sure i just wish they wouldn't have because there's a lot of like um just a a lot of meat here i guess to sink your teeth into for lack of a better phrase and i I just feel like they blew it i don't know i I just don't know why they went as hard as they did they didn't have they didn't have to right and again the jurassic jurassic park is so simple it's it's human beings that are um likable but flawed making decisions uh against a force of nature and it works and this just has it's just got so much stuff in it why does it have so so much much stuff stuff? we like the park we like the mosasaur you know just just do it there i don't know yeah the, the dinosaurs look great i i it's it's not for that either it's not like a cg mess right it looks it looks great um I, I think at least, I mean, you have Phil Tippett back as the dinosaur advisor uh, and you have, you know, Dennis Murray and Leah, Leah Vex TV is literally in the behind the scenes. It says Phil Tippett dinosaur advisor. And it's just so it's, I'm just so happy for him in that moment. Yeah. Um, but he's all of us. He's, he is all of us. Yes. <laughs> um, it, it just doesn't feel like it's really in the spirit of the original three movies. And you said, you said earlier when you see the gates and you hear the music that you're back into it, I, Sometimes I was, but like the entirety of getting to the island and using the theme and, and showing the gate just felt so workmanlike. It feels like such a throwaway. They had fun with it, but in the, in the wrong direction, I feel like. I guess I feel like it's both both worthy and unworthy of, of this sort of the, the Jurassic 
you know, it's Jurassic peers. Cause in the end I did have fun watching it and I sure. did like parts and, and I was able to sort of tune out the dumb shit, but there was a lot of really dumb stuff in this movie that just, like you said, when you put it on paper, it just, it seems very forced and, and just a mishmash of ideas that were squished together uh, to get to the next better idea. Exactly. It feels like an eight-year-old wrote a Jurassic Park movie. Drawing a straight line between the two, like the, especially with like the female characters in the movie, like Laura Dern's character in the amazing like boardroom scene where with the Jurassic tennis and everything, which right. by the way, this, this movie does have a Jurassic tennis callback, and I appreciate that, um, <laughs> is talking about dinosaurs that were just thrust back into society, and they'll, they'll defend themselves violently if they need to, you know, that whole part. And then talking about the Indominus Rex, like, you bred this thing in captivity, and the only thing it knows is it's going to figure out where it belongs in the food chain. That concept is more than enough. You know what I mean? That concept right. is like yep. more than enough to have a monster movie in a creature feature. And if they want to have a genetically altered dinosaur going nuts, that's all. That's the only through line that they needed right there is like yep. this thing doesn't know what it is, and it's going to figure that out, and it's going to kill a lot of people doing it. The end. Like yeah, that's um, that's all you need. We might be kicking a dead Mosasaur at this point, but uh, <laughs> anything else? Any any parting thoughts on Jurassic World? So, John, yes. if, if Jurassic World were real, much like the original Jurassic Park in 1994, would you go? I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm a capitalist fucking idiot. I would go. It's one of those things where it's like you see news stories of like, you know, team in Egypt uncovers completely black sarcophagus and plans on opening it. And you're like, don't do that. Have you ever <laughs> seen a movie in your life? Or like, you know, AI is moving towards like uh, robot army dogs. And you're like, don't do that. In the back of your head, you're like, it's kind of cool in a way. Like, <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe not army dogs. This podcast is very anti-military industrial complex, even though I said Top Gun Maverick is good. But uh, <laughs> the dogs could learn to fly. My scruples are all over the place. It's okay. It's just one of those things where it's like, you got to check it out, right? That's a great question. How about you? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Um, like without a moment's hesitation, I, I have reservations about Disney World, but I still go. Uh, and I, I would 100% go see a, a real dinosaur. I know there's sort of a project where they're using the uh, like the defrosting permafrost in Russia to get preserved mammoth bones. Uh, and they're getting like actual DNA from these 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 mastodon bones, and they're working on reassembling a mastodon's genetic structure uh, so that they can, you know, bring them back. And and it's the same thing where you go, oh, they shouldn't do that. But I mean, if if I could drive and see one, I, you know, if it meant me seeing a mastodon, they should right. do that. But yeah, right. we've learned nothing, Larry. Trials commence. So, speaking of actually going to Jurassic Park or Jurassic World, as it were, pretend, Larry, that you are a member of the planning crew, or like the the Jurassic World Imagineers, if you will, for planning out the park. What is your pitch for the perfect Jurassic World ride? So, I think my ride's kind of lame, but what I would do is I would have sort of like bumper cars. And each, each already good yeah each bumper car would be a segment of uh dino dna and um when you hit another car hard enough it sticks to the car and eventually you make a chain 
of dino DNA, and then when you get off the ride, it shows you what dinosaur you made. Larry, that's the best idea I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah, it's not very thrilling, but well, that's great. That's like that. That's uh, for the people that aren't like too scared to go see the actual dinosaurs. They go, they go learn about dinosaurs in their own way. That's yeah, perfect. Exactly. It's like the teacups of Jurassic World. Oh, um, I, almost, I almost threw up on those teacups. <laughs> have you seen? This is a complete aside, but have you ever seen the picture of Cardi B? And her daughter, and then her security guard in his own teacup. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's it's one of my favorite things on the internet. Uh, hanging out in a, in a teacup, and it's so it's so good. Mine comes from like a redemption arc for myself as a dad, because right now at the at the public museum in downtown Grand Rapids, there's a pterosaurs exhibit. Yeah, and I and I took my boys to it, and we were having a ball. We were uncovering fossils we were learning about pterosaurs and we got to the part of the room there's a pterosaur like flight simulator where you're supposed to stand in front of the screen and flap your wings and you can dive for fish or bugs yes and they were standing in front of it and it wasn't working very well and i was like just like stand here maybe flap harder but it was in this really narrow hallway and everyone kept walking by and like giving us like the nastiest looks and i was like what it's like two four-year-olds pretending to be pterosaurs what's your deal um and then we went around the corner and i realized that what we were doing was the back of the pterosaur flight simulator and someone else was flying it and it was a uh, it was a projector screen so the reason it wasn't following their commands is because there was nothing tracking them at all so um my idea for uh, a ride would be like soren like at disney's california adventure Mm -hmm. or at disney world but contained in like a projector type thing but you're there's also on a track as well and you're kind of flying but there's also pterosaurs around you in the exhibit so you're you're self-contained in like a little tube with like a a virtual reality thing in front of you and you're flying like a pterosaur but there's actual uh pterosaurs that are around you that you you can see as well in the in the aviary exhibit so that's that's my idea that would be Um, incredible Hopefully, no one shooting the boys' dirty looks if they're using that one. But um, it was a very, it was a very embarrassing moment because I was like, just because my boys want to be pterosaurs doesn't mean, you know. Uh, and I was like, oh, we're in the wrong, we're in the wrong spot. Well, your heart's in the right place, even if you weren't actually in the right place. It's true. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then, Larry, the ultimate question: What's your favorite dinosaur? Oh, Ankylosaur. Gotta be. I said the same thing. Hey, That's, all right. Uh, they're just so cool. Always drawn to that one as a kid. Uh, they have brains the size of walnuts, those guys. Maybe that's why I was so drawn to it. Yeah, um, eat, eat and smash. <laughs> I think that about does it for our discussion of Jurassic World. Thank you, Larry, for being a part of it. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we could finally get this done. Until the next time we're both sick and we can hang out. So Sounds good. Um, are, you, uh, are you planning on seeing Jurassic World Dominion at all? Yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> that's that's the response Hollywood wants is like, I guess yeah at some point it'll show up on a thing and I'll watch it for sure thank you so much for for being on here today and get some rest yeah you we're too both, we're we're both very sick so yeah. uh, if you couldn't tell and that does it in general for this episode of best one since the next one if you like us if you like what you're hearing follow along on Instagram at b one n one pod follow uh, subscribe and rate and review us on. Apple Podcasts, ring the bell and follow us on Spotify. Make sure to give us five stars on there as well. I've seen a a few people, more people do that. and I I really appreciate it. Some great reviews rolling in on Apple Podcasts as well. Perhaps we'll read a couple of those on upcoming shows. So thank you so much for listening. It It means the world. It means the Jurassic world. Yes, thanks to Christian Cremo for the theme music. Stay tuned next week 
we're going to bring you Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Later this week, actually, now that my COVID is tailing off a little bit, I'm going to be joined by Stephanie Cole. We're going to recap our time at Star Wars Celebration with our top five Star Wars Celebration moments and then go over in a 30,000-foot view episodes one through four of Obi-Wan Kenobi, a series I'm greatly enjoying, if I don't, if not having a couple nitpicks here and there about, but we'll talk about all of that. Um, hopefully we'll get that to you later this week. Yeah, and thanks again always so much for listening. We appreciate you, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.